I can't tell you how wonderful it is to stand here and look out and see you. Uh, I know it's not as full as it normally is, but I'm so grateful that you're here. And uh, those of you who uh, aren't here with us yet, I understand that too, uh, that that day will come and we know that it'll happen. So if you're worshiping with us uh, at home, uh, we're, we're grateful that you have joined us as well. But it just is good to be around people, see smiling faces. Well, Try to see smiling faces. Uh, the, the masks do make that a little bit harder, but uh, I'm just grateful that you're here this morning. And you heard it earlier that uh, the 9th of August will be uh, my last official Sunday uh, in the role that I've uh, held for all these years. And so Elsie and I are planning on that. And can I ask you just to keep our family in your prayers? I mean, I know that this is the right time. It is the right decision. I have no doubts about that. But it's still an emotional time. And our emotions are, you know, kind of all over the place with regard to how this is shaping up. So just keep our family in your prayers. Keep the church family in your prayers through this transition time. Uh, keep our leadership and Sean and the staff in your prayers as uh, we work toward that moment. And I, and I would just be ever so grateful for that. I've really enjoyed uh, this series uh, from the book of Psalms, Just the Right Words. And this morning we're in Psalm 150. And if you look through the Psalms, the book of Psalms portrays the Lord our God as one who creates, the God who blesses, the God who shepherds, the God who protects, the God who delivers, the God who avenges, the God who forgives, and the God who provides. All of that is there in Psalms. In Psalms, God is declared to be omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He is pictured as our ruler, redeemer, rescuer, restorer, and rewarder. He is our rock, our refuge, fortress, shield, shepherd, strength, stronghold, horn of salvation, hiding place, and sovereign God. He is more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, stronger than any army, and greater than any king. None can compare to you, O Lord, declares the psalmist. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, declares the psalmist. For all of these reasons, folks, and even more, he and he alone is the one who is worthy of our admiration, our worship, and our praise. Our hearts, minds, and souls are to bow before him through words of adoration. And it is most appropriate, I think, that at the end of 150 unique psalms, we come to one that is all about praise. After all, one of our greatest purposes and privileges in life is to give praise back to God. Now, it's a brief psalm. It's only six verses, and the six verses aren't very long in and of themselves. And so I'm going to ask you to join with me reading these out loud this morning. And if you're at home, would you read out loud as well? Because when the Word of God is spoken, it, I think, is more powerful than when it is just read through our eyes. So we're going to have the words on the screen here. Join me, will you, out loud? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. With the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is a great passage of Scripture. But I want you to notice in that passage as we went through it, and maybe you picked up on it already, but if not, when you go back through it again, take a look. There are three times in those six verses that the, the Lord appears, but it appears, the word, in all capitals. Now, here's something that you need to remember. The Hebrew people, when they would come across the personal name of God written in Scripture, believed it was too sacred to say out loud. And so every time they came to the name of God in Scripture, they would substitute the Hebrew word Adonai, which is Lord. So we still have Lord in Scripture for those passages today. But when you see it in all capital letters, we're actually looking at the personal name of God. God gave that name introduced himself that way to Moses at the burning bush. He gave his name as I am who I am. What's more, I find this really interesting. The word Adonai is plural. So it's almost like saying Lord, Lord, Lord with emphasis. Or it could be referring to the Godhead, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And you say, well, so what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is that this is very personal the psalmist is writing about the importance of personal praise to a personal God. This is not to be taken lightly. This is important stuff. And not only is the word Lord a dominant theme in this passage, but so is the concept of praise. In these six verses, the word praise appears 13 times. And the psalmist writes with the joy of the greatness of God as if to suggest or even to command that our worship, our praise, be filled with gladness as well. Now there's an obvious excitement with these words. You, you can't read through Psalm 150 without feeling the building of excitement in the words. And honestly, folks, there can be no substitute for joy in genuine worship. I'm afraid sometimes, well, at least what I've seen, is that too much of our lives is filled with a spirit of oughtfulness. Oughtfulness. We attend church because we ought to. We volunteer because we ought to. We give because we ought to. Oughtfulness. But oughtfulness diminishes the true spirit of worship. Lloyd John Ogilvie wrote, wrote this. He said, the evidence of true worship and service is gladness. Anything we can't do with gladness probably should not be done. Gladness is that outward expression of what's going on in the inside. So let's take just a little bit of a self-inventory this morning. And let me ask you this question. Your demeanor on the outside. What is that suggesting about what's going on on the inside? I mean, just take a look at life right now. Uh, for the last four and a half months, we have not gathered in this building on Sunday mornings. It's been tough. I mean, it's been something we've never experienced in our lifetimes. Now, I think it was the right decision. I, I firmly believe that. We chose to do that as a way of protecting one another, as a way of leading by example, and as a way of following what the scripture commands, that we be model citizens by obeying the laws and the guidelines of the land. And I believe that it was the choice we should have made. But boy, is it good to be back together. Our nation, however, is not out of the woods just yet. And many are still facing fears, anxiety, and illness. It's been a discouraging time in some ways. 
has been a tragic time in ways. So how do we come at a time like this before God in a spirit of gladness? Almost seems kind of counterproductive, doesn't it? Well, I think this psalm gives us some encouragement on how no matter what the circumstances are that we're going through in life, no matter how bleak things may feel around us, what we are seeing in this psalm is that you can still come into the presence of God with your praise in a spirit of gladness. And this psalm asks some questions. Are these questions grow out of this psalm and they beg our answers. So here, here we're going to take a look at them. Where should I praise God is the first question I'm going to ask is reading through this psalm. And verse one reads like this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. Okay, two things here. Uh, what do you think of? What's the first word that comes to your mind or the first picture or image when you hear the word sanctuary? Uh, some of you may think of this room right here. This is not a sanctuary, but we oftentimes refer to it as that. Uh, and uh, in, when, when I hear the word, I'm always thinking of the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament passages of Scripture. This beautiful building that was constructed by God's design to be, well, to be fitting of his greatness. It was viewed with a sense of awe and majesty because it was seen as the house of God in, among his people. The gold, the silver, the tapestries, and the furnishings pointed to his Majesty. So when I hear the word sanctuary, that's what I think of. When I was uh, teaching a few years ago for TCM in Europe, uh, Elsie and I had the chance to visit some cathedrals. Now, I'll be honest with you folks. I wasn't big on cathedrals. They seem, they seem to me ostentatious, a waste of so much good energy, time, effort, and resources, when that could have been used in so many other ways. But when I saw them, when I got to, to walk into some of these incredible cathedrals, I understood it a whole lot better. It changed my perspective. I was suddenly in awe of the grandeur that was dedicated to the glory of God. Craftsmen labored for years sometimes, even on the tiniest of details, because they were building for God. The breathtaking architecture, the incredible stonework, the exquisite paintings, all were done with the, with the sense that this was for God's glory. I had a different understanding when I walked in them and saw what had been created. Now, there is no temple structure where we worship today. There is no cathedral where God lives Stephen, in his sermon right before he was stoned to death, made that clear. In Acts chapter 7, he, he said this, The Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Or what kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And Paul reinforced the same thought in, in his message to the Athenians in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Okay, so if God doesn't inhabit a building, where then are we to offer our praise? Well, here, here's, here's the neat thing. The word sanctuary in our text can also be translated into holy places or more importantly, into holy ones. Oh, that changes the perspective altogether. 
We are his place of worship. Worship and praise emanates from within us, from our minds, hearts, and wills to the presence of God. Wherever and whenever God's people come together, we are to praise him. And aren't you thankful that worship isn't limited to Sunday morning in a formal gathering like here inside this building? Because if that were the case, these last four and a half months would have been wasted. But it wasn't wasted because it's not the the structure. It is the person that is the instrument of praise. Now, do I think that coming together as a body of believers is important? Boy, I sure do. I've invested my entire life in that premise. But true worship is recognizing God's daily presence, that he is the object of all that I do. So in your time at school, your work, your home, or your retirement, do everything as a gift of gladness and praise back to God. And you say, but but he also mentions the heavens. (laughs) Yes, he does. God is worshiped above by the heavenly beings that are constantly, constantly praising him. John gives us just a glimpse into what worship is like in heaven. And it is a spectacular glimpse. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Wow, what a majestic scene, just a glimpse into the praise of God in the heavens. The praise of God thunders through the corridors of our eternal home. And if the Lord is so honored constantly in heaven, then don't you think he deserves to be honored here in our lives and to be the object and the subject of the praise of our lips? And by the way, folks, if, if, if you don't like worshiping him here, do you think you're going to like to worship him there? I, I think what we do here just gets our hearts, minds, and souls ready for what we're going to experience there. You know, those cathedrals that we saw, most of them have been basically turned into museums. That's, it's, it's tragic. It's sad. The sounds of praise are seldom heard in the cathedrals of Europe today. And I guess it was with the passing of years, sometimes centuries, that people forgot the sacrifices, the painstaking labor, and mostly the heartfelt purpose of creating a cathedral in the first place. Now, don't misunderstand me. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to build a cathedral. I just want us to be cathedrals for the praise of God. Here's another question. Why should I praise God? Verse 2 says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Why praise him? Because he is so incredible and awesome. His greatness demands our respect and our praise. 
And God's people throughout, throughout Scripture have always done that. When the Israelites made it across the, the Red Sea, when God parted the waters and they buried the Egyptian army as the walls of water closed, what did they do? On the opposite banks of the Red Sea, they danced and celebrated and they sang to him for his acts of power. They praised him for his surpassing greatness. It was not solemn either. I mean, they worshiped by dancing in, in this victorious atmosphere. You know, sometimes our, our worship in this world can take on such a, a solemn feel that, that I, I think we forget that celebration is part of worship. <laughs> a little boy was attending adult church for the first time and he was struck by the repetitious actions and the solemn expressions he saw on the faces and he whispered to his mom, Mom, what happened? Did God die? Now, we know that God didn't die, but you know, sometimes I kind of wonder if our praise doesn't suggest that he has, that our lackluster worship leaves people wondering, what do we really believe about God? Have, have we forgotten the importance of what the psalmist wrote? When the Lord does something great, it's time to praise him. When Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, there was great rejoicing and a worship service. When God gave Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age, there was a celebration. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the city of Jerusalem, they had a parade and dancing. When Jesus turned the water into wine, that wedding reception became the talk of the town. When blind Bartimaeus received his sight, he leaped and praised with joy. When Lazarus walked out of the tomb after being dead for four days, the morning stopped and the party in Bethany began. And later they had a feast in Jesus' honor. And God loves a party attitude when great things happen. Remember the conclusion to one of the most beloved parables of our Lord? When the prodigal son came home, the father ran to greet him and then spared nothing by throwing a shindig that would have made New Year's Eve in Times Square look pathetic. Do you get the point? When God does something great, we ought to praise him. We ought to thank him. We ought to worship him. Let me encourage you to begin by watching God at work. You say, well, okay, when, when, when have I seen God do something great? Oh, just look around you. You know, look at your own life. But if, if you can't figure that one out yet, just, just look at nature. I am ever amazed by God's creation. Almost every year, when I'm working outside with our Christmas lights, uh, I, I hear the sandhill cranes flying south. They, they cross our, our town frequently. And most of these are probably from the Indian dunes, and then they fly south hundreds, thousands of miles to their winter nesting grounds. Uh, it, it, I've seen literally dozens of these. Uh, this last year, there were 10 V-shaped sedges of cranes flying overhead. The largest one had 50 different cranes in it. I, I just stop and marvel. And I hear this trumpeting sound, this beautiful sound that comes from these cranes as, as if they are praising God. Now, now, let me ask you something. How do they do that? How do they get from the dunes in northern Indiana all the way south to the winter and then back again in the spring? How do they do that? 
God has given them this capacity, and they praise him. Their sounds echo toward heaven as worship and praise. I know a lot of people that head to Hawaii between November and February because that's when the whales, uh, the Hawaiian humpback whales, make their journey from the coasts of Alaska to the most remote island chain in the Pacific, the Hawaiian Islands, a journey of 4,500 miles. And these whales leave Alaska. They come to the warmer waters of Hawaii to, to give birth to their calves, and they spend some time there. Now, they have no GPS. They don't have motorized transportation. They have their instinctive knowledge that God has given them, and they make that journey year after year after year. Now, I'm here to tell you, I'm a part of what's supposed to be the more intelligent species, but you put me in a rowboat without a GPS, without a compass, without a sextant, and say, get to Hawaii, you'll never see me again. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? How these graceful and majestic creatures of the deep make it all the way, year after year after year, and their journeys give praise to God. And do you know the octopus is a really intelligent animal? and a master of disguise and camouflage. It just blows me away. An octopus's skin has been described as being like a pixelated video screen. The top layer contains tens of thousands of tiny pockets of different colors that can be independently opened and closed so as to exhibit the color scheme of the moment. In other words, when an octopus glides over a coral bed, it immediately takes on the look of the coral to the point that you probably can't see the octopus. And it changes its look instantaneous. And underlying that surface deep is another layer of reflective cells that give it like a iridescence that makes it even harder to see. And, and the camouflage is not static. Here's, here's the amazing thing. If, if there is a cloud that passes over that part of the water and darkens the coral underneath, the, the octopus will change the shadow as it comes across. If there's lightning in the sky that strikes the water and flashes against it, it will even reflect that lightning and you will not be able to see it. It's just the most utterly amazing thing you can possibly imagine. And you think, how can an octopus do that? Because God gave it the ability to camouflage itself for its protection and its beauty, its colors, its camouflage, lift its praise before God. I'm telling you, folks, when we stand in the midst of God's creation, it should bring us to our knees in praise. Because just think, of all the majestic creatures into which he breathed life, God considers us the pinnacle of his creation. Isn't that reason enough to spend our lives praising him? Here's another question. How should I praise him? Verses three through five read like this. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Now, some people like to sing their praise or they like to listen to music of praise. I suspect that's true of many of you here. And the Psalms are songs. And so that makes perfect sense. But being musical, being vocally talented is not a requirement to give praise. 
Remember, Psalm 100 begins with, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now the words, make a joyful noise, that's all one word in the Hebrew, and it means to shout with praise, to just explode with praise. So I'm here to tell you, you know, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, that's okay. By the way, this is your time. With these masks on that we've been wearing this morning, you can't be heard when you sing anyway, so just let it loose, all right? This is your time to be able to sing and shout with praise. Sometimes the Bible talks about people dancing. And it's not a waltz kind of a dance. It's a celebration kind of dance. And, and we see a lot of cultures today that, that use dancing in their worship much more than we do in our American culture. But I think of little kids when I think of this kind of praise. Little kids, when there's music, just can't keep their feet still. I love to watch our, our youngest grandchildren dance for joy. There's no pattern. It's just movement that declares pure happiness. They are all in when they do this. There's nothing half-hearted about it. One commentator suggested that this passage, by listing all of these different instruments, is really saying that we, our whole person, our whole being, becomes an instrument of praise. And I think he's got a really good point here. A person's breath and mouth are required for the horn and the flute. The fingers are required for the harp and the lyre. Hands clutching cymbals are are necessary for the crash. Arms waving the tambourines. Legs and feet moving to create dance. Everything that he describes here takes the whole person to do. And so I think God is saying that your whole being becomes an instrument of praise. You say, well, well, how how do I do that? How can I praise him? Well, take time to pray and thank him or praise him or talk about his greatness or, or, or reflect on what it means to you to know God. Instead of just always asking something, take time to praise him. Write, write out your praise in a journal for him. Tell your family or your friends about how grateful you are for God's blessings and then start naming some of God's blessings. Take a walk out in nature and thank him for his glorious creation. See how many creatures you can identify. See how many sounds of birds, different sounds you can identify. Spend time in his word and then obey what he has written. Live your life every day as an expression of praise. Get creative. God will accept your sincere offering, whatever it is. And there's the key word, sincere. Insincere praise is worse in my mind than no praise at all. Insincere praise is worse than no praise at all. Bad music detracts. Lackluster praise insults. One of my favorite quotes comes from Elton Trueblood, and it goes like this. Holy shoddy is still shoddy. And he's right. If you just attach something to the beginning of that thing, well, you know, I'm doing this for the church, so God will accept whatever I do. You see, when we see the grandeur with which God has done everything, why would we think that coming before him with mediocrity is acceptable? Did Jesus ever do anything halfway? Was his sacrifice only good for the first one million people that named him a savior? Too often I have witnessed an attitude that suggests the church, in the church, one's best isn't necessary. Folks, try being shoddy in your sports league and see where that gets you. Try being shoddy in your marriage relationship and see how long you can live happily ever after. When I hear someone say, oh, well, it's just the church. 
I cringe. What do you mean? It's just the church. This is God's body, his family on earth. God has never done anything halfway. His family shouldn't be anything less than its best. The Lord and his family deserve our best commitment, our best service, our best giving, our best everything. So when it comes to praise, let it be with a sincere and genuine heart, giving our best, being all in. Here's the last question. Who should offer praise? <laughs> the last verse says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Simply put, everyone and everything. Nothing excluded. Do you remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday to the shouts and the praise of the people and the religious leaders said to him, have your disciples be quiet. And Jesus said, if they do not lift up their praise, I tell you, even the stones, the stones will cry out. When God was questioning Job, he asked where Job was when he laid out the foundations of the earth while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. I love what we read in Isaiah 55, 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Do you get the picture? that everything in all of God's creation finds a way to lift their praise to the majestic God, their creator. And if everything else lifts their praise, how can we not? Charles Spurgeon wrote that the name of God, Yahweh, was composed more of breathings than of letters to remind us that the very breath of life comes from him and that with every breath, we ought to praise his name. The truth is simple. Everything and everyone in all of creation is to praise God. Growing up, my home congregation always sang the doxology after the offering had been received. Anybody else have a history like that where the doxology was sang every week at the same point and the same place in the service? You know, as a kid, when you're growing up and that kind of thing happens, it gets so routine, you don't pay any attention to it. You don't think of the words. It's just what you do at that point in the service. But the doxology carries with it the power of these verses and so many other like it in the book of Psalms. Its words are powerful. And so I'm going to ask you, would you just sing it with me this morning? We're going to sing it a cappella, but I can't think of a better way to wind up this sermon than by singing the doxology as an act of praise before God. The words will be up here on the screen. You ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Beautiful words, powerful words. That doxology ought to emanate from us in actions, words, and thoughts every day. So when we reach the end of Psalms, it's easy to miss the power of these last six verses. But God uh, is worthy 
of our praise in his mighty heavens for his surpassing greatness with every song, sound, and means possible. No one is exempt. No one is without excuse. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this service to you. Our, our words, our songs, the notes that have been played, our thoughts, and our heart's intent to you this morning as praise, worship for your greatness and your majesty. Lord, help us to come before you with sincere and genuine hearts and minds so that you might be honored in every aspect of our lives. And this we pray in the name of the one who taught us genuine praise, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. If you don't know him, it's hard to praise him. We sing songs at the end of the service to give people an opportunity to respond. You don't have to respond at this moment. You can respond anytime. And those of you at home, if you, if you have never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ, I, I would encourage you to call us. Let us work with you, talk with you, help you through this decision process. You know, the baptistry is, is right at any day and time. You know, but how can you praise him who you do not know as Lord and Savior? So I'm going to be down here. If you've got a question, uh, you, can, you can come while we stand and while we sing. I'll stand.